Welcome to the Northwestern Masters of Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Clinton, and I'm joined, as always, by Adam Grossman. As a refresher, the Revenue Above Replacement Podcast is a conversation show where each week, Adam and I will interview individuals who impact the sports industry, ranging from executives to agents, coaches, to even athletes. This week's conversation is an exciting one for multiple reasons. Adam, can, can you tell us a little bit more about the guest? Yeah, uh, looking forward to sharing my conversation with Al Guido. Al was named the president of the San Francisco 49ers on February 15, 2016. He oversees all key business initiatives for the team. He also concurrently serves as the chairman and CEO of Elevate Sports Ventures, which launched in 2018. Elevate works to bring comprehensive business solutions to the sports and entertainment industry and identifies new revenue opportunities while bringing new innovative ideas to market. Well, excited for the conversation, Adam. Can you tell us a little bit uh, about that conversation and, and how you know Al? Yeah, Al works um, through his work with Elevate Sports Ventures and through the San Francisco 49ers, has spoken with my company, Block 6 Analytics, on numerous occasions. But the way I first met Al in person is that I went to a Cincinnati Bengals game in Cincinnati when the Bengals were playing the 49ers. It was Al's 40th birthday, and the 49ers had a very successful uh, time on the field. But it was um, Al was hoping the score would end up 40 to 10, and the score ended up being 41 to 10 because it was Al's 40th birthday. But he still said it was one of the best birthday gifts he ever had, uh, was, was uh, seeing the 49ers win by so much on his birthday. And, you know, we're, we're, we're fortunate that Al was, has had a, a wide-ranging career in the sports industries. He worked for a number of well-known teams. Um, properties and um, has had a, a, a very interesting background in terms of how he got into the sports industry. So we'll cover all of that in the podcast and we look forward to our audience hearing more about Al Guido. Welcome to the Northwestern Masters of Sports Administration uh, Revenue Above Replacement podcast. I'm your host, Adam Grossman. We're here today with Al Guido. Al is both the president of San Francisco 49ers uh, and the uh, chairman and CEO of Elevate Sports Ventures. We're going to talk about both of those things in detail. But first, um, Al, it would be great if you could give uh, a background to, your, uh, to the listeners uh, of how you got to those roles today. And also, want to again, thank you for being on the podcast today. Appreciate you having me, buddy. Um, so, yeah, I, I grew up... Um, I grew up loving sports. I played uh, football, basketball, and baseball as a kid. And so when I went to college, I was a general business major, econ minor, um, didn't actually know anything. Sports management programs were not sort of as big of a deal as they are now. Um, and truthfully, I looked at, I didn't even, I didn't understand the business of sports uh, at that time, right? I was just a huge fan of the actual games themselves. And so when I got out of school, I became a financial advisor for a short period of time until my pops called me up one day and told me that Philadelphia 76 and flyers were hiring for ticket salespeople. And that started my journey. Um, it's not 20 total years. It's almost 20 at this point. Um, and I've been moved around, you know, it, I've been in mostly sales and marketing roles my entire career. And so I started off as what they call inside sales or what they used to call inside sales. Um, you know, which is essentially telemarketing jobs, calling past buyers and, you know, new business, et cetera. And I sold for the Flyers and Sixers. Then I took a management level job with the minor league baseball team, which I loved. Like I got so much out of that. I mean, because the resources, there's not a ton of resources. You do a bunch of different jobs. Uh, you learn a lot more. You learn a lot about the business in a very short period of time. Um, and then I went from there to the, uh, now Arizona Coyotes at, at the time I went there, it was the Phoenix Coyotes. Then I went to the Dallas Cowboys, which is arguably obviously my big break in the world. Um, I knew someone who knew someone and had done a good job with the Coyotes. We were third in the national hockey league in, in new sales, um, which in Arizona was not super easy when you could sell hockey in the desert. It was a non-traditional place. Uh, you garner a lot of eyeballs as to how you actually pulled that off. And so I got hired by the Cowboys to uh, serve as a, you know, a manager on their business side for the sales efforts to open up at that time, Cowboy Stadium, now obviously AT&T Stadium. Uh, and we, we reinvented a personal seat license model, frankly, that had never been done before. The largest personal seat license model 
in all of sports was around 150 million. It was done by the Carolina Panthers when they became an expansion franchise in the National Football League. Uh, we did over 600 million uh, with the Dallas Cowboys. And so that led to uh, a whole lot of interest, as you can imagine, in the world of sports. Like we essentially shattered whatever glass ceiling there was on how to think about seat license sales or more importantly, hospitality in a venue. Um, and that led to the creation of Legends Sales and Marketing, or you know, now just Legends. Um, Legends is an agency that I was the first employee of, and I was proud, humbled by the fact that the San Francisco 49ers hired Legends to help with their new venue in Santa Clara, California. Um, back in 2010, uh, there had not been a stadium built in California in 50 years. Uh, there had been two ballot measures for the 49ers that um, did not get approved or they never got a stadium built. And so Jed York, who is the son of the ownership group, uh, took over as CEO and decided to look at Santa Clara as an option. Uh, in June, we passed a ballot measure to build the stadium. It broke June of 10, 2010. It broke ground in 2012, and then we opened up in 2014. And then, as you mentioned in your intro, recently um, I've decided to start an agency um, that's in the world of sports and entertainment, uh, and I've been doing that for about two years now um, as the CEO. So I serve in functions, uh, the president of the San Francisco 49ers, which I'm in my office today, um, and the CEO of Elevate Sports Ventures. Yeah, and a lot of good content there, a lot of things we want to ask about. But first things first, you know, a lot of our students are uh, athletes and uh, either former athletes, college athletes, or professional athletes. Um, how has, you know, you, you mentioned how you were an athlete um, in both in high school and college. So how was your background as a football player and how was your background as an athlete? Uh, how did that help you in your career and obtaining your career goals? Well, I think when you break it down to like, what makes a team or an individual successful in sports is really no different in business. It's, it's no different in whether you're in the sports business or whether you're in any business, right? Perseverance, grit, hard work, all that good stuff. Um, you know, that's necessary. And in sports, you know, whether you do it or you're forced to do it, you know, it's one or the other, um, you know, you're sort of forced to win, uh, run your win sprint. So you won't be on the team. And so um, I do think in, in sales specifically sports is, um, analogous in the sense of you don't win every game. Um, now, obviously, if you're in a really good team, maybe you do win every game. But you 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 understand success and failure, right? When you play sports, um, and they do keep score, right? It's inherently you either win or you lose. And I think in the in the world of you know that you you, you understand what it means to be a teammate. You understand culture. Um, you understand commitment to, to a greater cause than your own personal cause. And so when I was looking for an opportunity of what to do, like what would motivate me um, in the world of business, um, sports was a perfect place for me because I, I wanted to feel that camaraderie I felt as a college football player, right? I wanted to, um, I knew I wasn't going to be able to be in a locker room anymore. Um, and that's different, right? But I wanted to feel as though, I was an individual performer, right, um, acting in behalf or on behalf of a greater cause. And that greater cause became the success of the business operations of a team. And if I do my job well, um, that means the building's full. That means the atmosphere is great. And that helps our players on the field win their games. And that's how I've come to rationalize, like, my 5'8 stature was never going to be a pro athlete. But if I could be around it, and have a tiny impact on it, man, that's what I wanted to do. So that's why I chose this industry. And uh, I think there's just something different about people who um, learn how to play a sport. I mean, you and I joke all, like football, right? I mean, every sport, like you get knocked down, you have to get back up. And I mean, if you think about what we're going through in this day and age right now with COVID, like could not be a better example of what's what's happening to all of us. Like you have to dust yourself off every single day and find a new way. Um, so that was sort of why I wanted to get into the world of like being involved in sports was different. Like when I was in the financial advisor world, I felt it was a little bit more cutthroat. It was like my individual success came at the, at the, you know, sort of the, the detriment or the, uh, the, the negative to somebody else's right. Um, in, in the world of sports, like, yeah, I might be at the top or leaderboard or middle leaderboard in sales, but like 
we're all just trying to sell the building out. Like that's our entire goal. Uh, so that felt a little bit better to me. Like I felt like there was more camaraderie, more teamwork, more celebrating, not just individual successes, but team successes. So I've loved it. And, you know, what, building off that or uh, the complimentary part of that is, you know, in a recent article you mentioned, you know, Monday through Friday is working at a business, right? It's like working at a business where Saturday and Sunday you get to have the, and see the real, or the see the impact of what you're doing on the football side. Can you do, uh, talk a little bit, I guess, more about the Monday through Friday part, you know, understanding business. Obviously, you had built a skill set in sales, which while applicable to sports is not solely built for sports. So how have, you know, how do you look at the revenue streams of sports and how do you look at the sports business and how has your sales background really helped you achieve success in the industry that, you know, industry that you love? Yeah, I think um, in any business, I think communication with whoever your key stakeholders are, define them however you define them, right? In our world, we define them as fans or we define them as sponsors or we define them as media partners. Um, but everybody has that definition of it. If you're a restaurant, you define it as your customers who come in and eat at your place, right? Um, or the vendors in which you work with that ultimately supply your your cogs, right? Um, or your, your product. Um, and so for me, I think communication... Um, uh, and leadership and, uh, you know, uh, a passion to serve is necessary in any, in any job. And so what I always say is, and you mentioned it is like, we have all those functions here, right? We have sales, we have marketing, we have operations, we have finance, we have legal. Um, every business has that, right? If you go down any type of budget, um, or the way any of these businesses are built, like you have revenues and you have expenses and you have it inside of any one of those and you have debt. And, and so managing this business is no different than managing a restaurant, right? Am I advertising well? Am I customer servicing properly? Is my product really good? Um, you know, how am I priced compared to my other market, like my local restaurants around me? Do people find that it's valuable? Um, the biggest difference, Adam, for us is um, we're inherently uh, sort of protected from competition, meaning like there is no other NFL team. Well, now there's not. There was in the Bay Area, right? But inherently, like we're capped at the number of people who can compete with us, right? There's only 32 pro teams where a restaurant, a new restaurant can pop up open on the corner and they could dramatically cut prices or have all these incentives, which might take away some of your, your tables, right? And so in the business world, in the, in the non-sports non world, you might have inherently more competition or more threat to your existence than you would maybe in the world of sports and entertainment. Um, our threats are things that we don't control, right? Which is things like COVID. Um, but it also just mean like share of wallet, right? Like how the economy might be doing might impact discretionary spend. And people might look at sports as discretionary spend. It's not a need, it's a want. Um, I want to go to a game. I don't need to go to a game. I can consume it on television. And so we're, our business is, is positively or neg negatively driven generally by macroeconomics of the economy. Um, there's slight upticks here and there if we win more games than we did the year before our business gets better if we lose more it gets worse but it's somewhat protected from broader competition which is the only real big difference truthfully and you know you've mentioned this uh, a couple times in terms of filling the venue and obviously that's a primary business driver um and one of your uh you know obviously original or still uh, a task is filling the venue and also the construction of levi stadium so um can you talk about the revenue impact that Levi Stadium has had on the 49ers and, and some of the challenges, whether it's from Legends or as your time as president of the 49ers, um, what it was like to, to build a new venue? Obviously, that's um, going to be different in, in a COVID experience, but it, now, you know, in the past and what you were facing, if you can talk a little bit more about that experience, that would be really helpful for the students. No problem. I think the toughest part of, you know, if you take my Cowboys experience to this, in Dallas, I mean, football is king and Jerry's, well, Jerry's the king of football in Dallas, right? Um, and no one ever questioned whether or not Jerry was going to build AT&T Stadium. Um, 
and he had private dollars to help, I should say public dollars to help him go get that done, right? Um, there was just like tremendous amount of iner like inertia to kind of like build the new palace to the Dallas Cowboys. Um, in California, different. And frankly, now it's become the rest of the United States where there is not this um, um, public sort of outcry to use taxpayer dollars to build these facilities. And, and so you, if you strip out the public dollars and you make it all privately financed and then you add on top of it that these these buildings have gone like the, the cost structure is dramatically increased I mean, you're talking about you know multi-billion dollar stadiums now and a billion dollar arenas where you know that used to be a couple hundred million dollars um, and so it's very very different now on how you're able to um, uh, you know what the cost is and then frankly the revenue that you need to drive to inherently you know uh uh, sort of make that math work. And so for us on, on Levi's, um, yeah, ticket sales were a huge part of it. PSLs were a huge part of it. Um, and, uh, from a 49ers perspective, just to get an idea. We were 30th or 31st in the league in revenue as the five times Super Bowl champions, um, playing in Candlestick Park. Uh, it was the oldest non-renovated stadium at that time in the national football league. It had no premium seats. It had very limited suite inventory. Um, it did not have all the bells and whistles of a new stadium now with LEDs and scoreboards and the like to be able to sell sponsors to. Um, and so we went from that ranking uh, to, let's just say, top quartile in the National Football League without giving it away to everybody. Um, but we look, we, we've obviously changed our trajectory of this franchise from a business perspective. Obviously, our franchise on the field has always been known as, again, the five time champs unbelievable historical, you know, success, right? One of the pioneers in the National Football League. If you look at Bill Walsh and what he meant to diversity, there's still, you know, literally uh, coaching, whether it's awards or diversity measures in the league, they're still named after Bill Walsh. I mean, the innovation that came out of San Francisco, the West Coast offense, like our football team has always been viewed as leaders. Our business side Maybe not so much, but I would say under the leadership of Jed and, and everybody I got to work for, we really changed our trajectory as an organization based off the building of Levi's. Yeah, and one of the things that's really been, um, you know, an important part of the building of Levi's and things that you've talked about more recently is the technology, innovation from technology and from digital. And can you talk a little bit more about the te technological innovations of Levi Stadium and your continued emphasis on digital and technology for the growth of the business. Yeah, Adam, you're seeing it happen now, right? Is uh, our ownership group made this, I don't think it was a big bet at the time, although some people would, like people would actually make fun of us in the sense that they were like, you know, we were like, oh, we're not gonna like build the biggest scoreboards in the world or whatever. It's like, everybody's gonna be on their phones. Um, and you know, 2014, everybody, you say that now and everybody's like, oh, of course, right? In 2014, you know, you're coming off of, and I love that building. Like Cowboy Stadium is this big, massive board, right? Um, I think we felt like the individualized experiences was going to continue to grow and that content um, is needs to be more personalized than it, than it was happening in stadiums. And this whole shotgun approach that, you know, one size fits all was, was going to work was not the way that we, what we, we really wanted to entertain it. And we, we sort of bet on the technology companies, not on ourselves, meaning we built enough infrastructure in this building to allow innovation to come along to take advantage of the infrastructure. And so if you look at our cellular capacity and our Wi-Fi capacity in our building, we built it at the time in 2014 at a 10x multiple of what was recommended by the National Football League. So, you know, we went above and beyond what you consider Wi-Fi access points or just cellular infrastructure because we firmly believed that you know the advent of applications and the advent of what you could do with content and how you could deliver it to seats was going to dramatically change the sponsorship landscape it was going to dramatically change the food and beverage experience the egress right mobile ticketing all of those things that were ultimately coming um, that are now actually required um, we feel like we were kind of ahead of a curve there um, and that we were able to deliver an unbelievable experience for everybody in our stadium. And, and if you just use this thesis, Adam, we used to say like, why is the at-home experience literally better than the in-stadium experience? Like, why do I have to text my friend to understand whether the guy got his two feet inbounds or whether it was a fumble um, or I'm getting more data to my seat at home than I am in the venue? Like 
inherently those people are paying for that, right? Like they're paying for exclusive content. It's what they see on the field, but it's also what they should be getting in their, in their device that they're holding in their hands. And there was this big concern movement. Like Mark Cuban was like, I don't want all my fans with their phones in their hands, like staring at the game. And by the way, I'm not, Mark's not wrong. All I would say is like, if you take a national football league game, a national football league game is a four hour experience. Real live actual content when play is happening is about 28 minutes. And so you three and a half hours of time that like strategy is going on, breaks are happening. Like people are not going to be disconnected from the world for three and a half hours. And so we just firmly made the bet that we were going to build the, the building and the infrastructure based off technology sustainability. And that's led to some significant revenue growth for us um, and some significant innovation in our venue that I think inherently um, has led to really good renewal rates of our season ticket holders and customer experience ratings that they're at the top of the National Football League. Yeah, and we've talked at um, a high level about Elevate and Legends and, you know, um, and you talked about innovation and how important innovation is to the 49ers. Um, I think our students are and our audience is more familiar with the business of the 49ers. I think they're maybe less familiar with the business models of Elevate, and particularly given what we were just talking about with venues and technology and monetization. Can you talk a little bit about what Elevate is, what it does, and what the goals are of um, what you're trying to build within uh, within Elevate? Certainly. So at Elevate, we're, uh, we're a little under a two-year-old company. Um, we're a sports and entertainment agency focused in on sales and marketing uh, is the way I would couch it. And so if you think about any a league or team, there's uh, generally four buckets of revenue, which are very, very important. Um, there's media, right? So if you're a, a NBA, MLB, NHL, MLS, there's, your, there's a combination of media. There's your regional sports network, and then there's your national rights that the league itself sells. If you're the NFL, there's only the national rights. Um, so there's media, there's sponsorship. Some people call it partnership, but there's sponsorship, right? So um, obviously at the league level, they sell our national rights, but at the local level, there's a, there's a, a lion's share of assets that you could actually sell against. There's uh, ticketing, so you know suites, or I should say general admission and premium. And then there's suites. Those are kind of like the four big drivers of any sports team right? In how they build their business. There's ancillary revenues, food and beverage, retail. I would tell your students, like those are not big dollar frames for a lot of companies. Now on MLB, it might be because they got 80 some games and it's a different world than the NFL. But those four big buckets um, generally lead to uh, success or failure. Um, and in our world, um, we feel like we're well suited to help organizations, either properties or leagues, uh, identify opportunities in those four buckets. And we do it via a lot of data and analytics. Um, we have a robust insights group here that does a lot of work on the future of sports. And so let me give you a specific example for your students. Um, you have uh, Inter-Miami um, MLS Football Club. They are an expansion franchise, obviously in South Florida, owned by a gentleman named Jorge Moss and David Beckham. Elevate has been hired there to sell and market and price their venue. So how do you price a venue that has no historical, right? Like MLS hasn't happened in South Florida. You don't really know what, how, to, how big to build a building. You're not really sure what to price it at. And so you have to really start with market comparisons, right? What is a like-to-like -like market comparison? What is an MLS product selling for in this marketplace? What is... If we were to do a focus group and surveys, what are our fans telling us the value of that property would be? And that gets you to a, pro a spot where you all of a sudden now have a matrix of revenue inside of your building that you think you could go out and sell. That's the science, right? You take qualitative and quantitative data to provide you a pro forma that you're gonna give to the banks that are gonna loan you the money that then you're gonna go build your facility, okay? So we do all that. We do all the science of it, right? We help you and then the bank we get hired by the banks a lot to help them sort of say, okay, hey, we think this property can go achieve these results, okay? Then there's the art, which I call sales, right? <laughs> How do I take that number and uh, explain it to a customer 
in sort of a product benefit roadmap, right? Or what is my product and how am I selling it and what is it worth? And how do I compare it to make sure that the client feels its value? And so after we've done all the science, then the question is, is who's doing the art? And we're a sales agency. So we represent organizations that we sell on their behalf. We sell naming rights, jersey sponsors, founding partners, tickets and what I call hospitality, which is tickets. And so, you know, a lot of our work is in new and renovated facilities, Adam, because frankly, the risk portfolio is significant. And when owners look to do these things, I always call it the turbo boost button, right? If you told me that I had in Levi's example, right? If I, I, cause I think I speak for Jed here. I have this billion five asset, right? I gotta go, I gotta go spend a billion five to go build this thing. Okay. And I've been running Candlestick Park, you know, and yes, it's doing well, but maybe my sophistication is not at the level of, hey, this oldest non-renovated state of the building. Now I got to go build this billion five. Like, who am I going to do it with? Do they have the resume? Have they done it before? Right. Do I have the CV where they're like, okay, I feel like the myself and the banks feel like, you know what? The performer they're putting in front of me, this group can actually go achieve it. And so we've helped companies, I, I believe we've been, we have, we've had a lot of success in our last two years. We're nominated for a sports business journal agency of the year this year in only our second year of operation. We're helping companies hit those performance metrics. Um, and not to get into our secret sauce, cause maybe my competitors might listen to this. Like, look, I, I feel like we have IP on our side, given our equity partners who are the 49ers, uh, Harris Blitzer Sports Entertainment, Oakview Group and Live Nation Ticketmaster that allow us to get to the science, probably different than maybe some other people do. A couple of things came up, but before we get into the, those questions, you mentioned a pro forma. Um, I'm not sure all, all of our students understand what a pro forma is and what it's like to interact with banks and create revenue projections. Can you just provide just um, kind of an operational definition of when, when you're talking about pro formas and, and working with banks and revenue projections, um, how you're looking at that, particularly from a quantitative and a qualitative perspective? Certainly. So, you know, we, we also could use sources and uses as an example. Um, you know, for those of you, for, for your students, I would say, is, and I gave the example on Levi's, right, which is how much equity is going to go in, whether that's, you know, cash is going to go into a project from an owner and or public nature. So take a billion five example. Um, there's probably some equity that gets put in. So cash, right? There's an upfront payment, like buying a house. There's an upfront payment you make. Um, and then you finance the rest of that, right? And then the question becomes no different than in your students buying a house is what's your credit score? What's your income? Do I believe as a bank that you're a person I should lend money to? And so in that scenario, you know, we have a credit ratings, of course, Fitch and like they all do credit ratings based off the National Football League and the San Francisco 49ers. So in this case, say, hey, we're privately financing 1.5 billion. And yeah, we, we put some money in. So maybe call it, let's just use, this is not the math, but let's just say it's a billion dollars of private finance, right? So we've made, 500, we've made a $500 million equity check. We're now financing a billion dollars. In that financing of billion dollars, is there enough revenue, right? Enough net profit in there per year to be able to make those debt service payments, right? To pay off my billion dollar sort of loan. And so in that scenario, what we're modeling is essentially, if, it, if you take Levi Stadium, we're modeling a 40-year life of a building in those three big buckets, media, sponsorship, ticketing, and suites, right? And do we, do we the bank and or we elevate, feel confident that we'll be able to achieve those revenue streams? Now, that's just revenue components, right? Obviously, we'd have to forecast expenses, how much the team is going to spend, all of those things. We definitely do that on behalf of teams. So we'll build them an entire model that they could then just go like, it's like a product in a box, like take this model, right? Give it to the banks. And then the banks have to decide whether or not there's enough validity in the science to feel good about their investment that they're making on your behalf. Um, and that's not, it's not so easy because unlike maybe other industries um, that have a ton of historicals, sometimes you're working on a lot of historicals 
sometimes you're working on zero. Um, and, and then the question becomes is how much market my market comparisons did you have to make somebody feel confident? And I can tell you, like in this scenario at Levi's, um, you know, again, we were the third, we were, we were in the bottom quartile in the league in, in national football revenue, right? What did we at that time, me, say to the banks that like what confidence did, were we able to provide them that we could actually go hit those numbers? Now, one of the comparisons we had was Cowboy Stadium, right? Cowboy Stadium was able to do this. Obviously, a tremendous brand in the National Football League. We think the 49ers are a great brand. We believe market size, market wealth, discretionary income, whatever, like, you know, uh, percentage of season ticket holders today, percentage of interest that is in the market that are not season ticket holders. Like, what is that? And is there enough in there to go drive those revenue streams? That's what I would say. Yeah, it's definitely very helpful and a lot of good um, information, particularly on the um, in my class, the 401 class, we talk about sources of financing. So seeing a real world example has been very helpful and that's really helpful for our students. Um, one of the other things that we wanted to talk about in the context of Elevate was, you know, the 49ers are a relatively mature business, particularly as compared to Elevate. So one, what was it like to start Elevate within the context of uh, a relatively mature business? How did you get uh, jet support, but then also you mentioned your partners that are involved, you know, whether that's Live Nation, whether that's Harris Blitzer, whether that's the Oakview Group. So how are you facilitating those relationships, particularly in the context of companies looking for a proven track record? You know, there's that kind of balance, whereas you're a new company looking for new practices at the same time where companies are looking for a proven track record. Yeah, Adam, I, I say often, um, getting jet support was actually the easiest in the sense of, uh, Cause he lived it, you know, he, he was, you know, obviously a younger owner, relatively speaking to the others. Um, and he was embarking on something that, you know, frankly, if you polled the, the local media and fan base here, 99% of the people thought we wouldn't build it. Um, and that it couldn't happen. And so, and he understood the, you know, we went from 80 employees now to over 400 at Levi's. So if you just think about the drastic build and what it take, what it, the transformation in your organization, he understood how difficult that was. Um, and so in his mind, you, you feel like there's some inherent knowledge you learn because you've gone through it. Right. And so he felt like, Hey, we could, you know, our people, you can really help others as they make these difficult decisions, um, feel better about them. And so that was actually easy. Uh, you know, I forget the second part of your question, but, um, Oh, I, so, it, you know, in, in the mature business world, I would say that the reason I'm able to do this, both jobs, is because 49ers are a mature business. The other benefit, I would say, Adam, is, is and you, you touched on it, even though we're a relatively new agency, if you, car, if you take our collective breadth of experience across our four equity partners, I would tell you there's nobody that's had as much experience as we have operating venues. And so what I often tell our customers um, is I know what it feels like to be them. Right? I'm not just some agency coming in and we're going to come in, we're going to swoop in, we're going to save the day, we're going to leave and get out, right? Like that's not what I want to be. Like I want to be a thought partner, I want to be collaborative in our approach. And I know the, the pain of operating. I know how it feels. I do it on a daily basis. I know the tough decisions that you have to make, um, you know, the trade-offs that you're, that you're thinking about. And so... I often say like, yes, we're an agency and yes, like we come in and we sell and we, you know, we might do some market demand studies and then ultimately you might decide that your team's going to go do it. What I would say is like, whatever decision an owner makes, that's completely up to them. What I, what I counsel them on is I've been in their shoes. I've lived it. I understand the mistakes. None of us are ever perfect. Like I could go back and look at Levi's and tell you five things I should have done differently right? If I can give them, if I, instead of having them have 10 things on their list when they open, if there's two or three things on that list, because inherently I ask a question because of experience that maybe I didn't ask in Levi's, but now I know to ask today, how much money does that save them? How much revenue might it generate if they ask this? Like if they think about the future of what stadium design or arena design might look like, how much have I helped them in their business you know, whether it's revenue or cost savings that they wouldn't have otherwise have gotten maybe 
because they wouldn't have been through it and they wouldn't know the questions to ask. And so I just try to be thought partners with them and explain to them that like my operational background is actually a huge benefit in the agency space for those who frankly have never worked at a club or never operated a, a venue. And you've mentioned this a couple of times in our conversation, but obviously the impact of COVID-19 um, and how, you know, how that's impacted the business businesses that you're in. Can you talk a little bit more detail about the impact of COVID-19 has had in the immediate term? You mentioned earlier about content personalization um, and that may be an area, but particularly whether you're having these conversations with the owners of Elevate or at con- you know, conversations you're having with uh, for, as the 49ers, how would you say COVID-19 has impacted your businesses today? I'm not going to pull punches, man. It's, it's significant, significant negative impact on, on all of us. Um, obviously in the NFL, not so much in the sense of we haven't played a game yet, right? We haven't been forced to cancel or postpone anything. Um, but yeah, as I, you know, we have, you know, roughly 40 clients on the elevate side and, you know, different across our first two years and it's impacted everybody different. Um, and we have a number of those clients whose seasons have been canceled or postponed and that revenue, I mean, the financial impact is, it's, it's tough. Um, the, the media side of it, maybe not so much because there's rights fees that all of these leads get paid um, to put their games on TV. And ultimately, if they can get back on TV, they'll collect those rights fees. Um, but the local revenue um, we call gate. So gate for your clients is, or, tick, you know, or students is ticketing. I mean, you know, if you think about NHL, which just announced they're going to come back without fans. I mean, you're talking an entire playoffs and a regular season that just got thrown away and there's no gate revenue. Uh, it just went to zero. And so I think the best way to think about it is, we will you could effectively think about playing two paying your players and and paying operations for two seasons but only collecting one season of revenue like if you think about it in those like that math doesn't really work um and so it's 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 bad now look the positives here's the positives right because i generally am a very optimistic person i think that this is an opportunity for our industry to change for the better and you know, I look at what just happened this past weekend in golf with the match, you know, mic'd up players, um, unbelievable content, really uh, innovative ideas on how to uh, uh, work sponsors into a broadcast um, without, you know, having a bunch of commercial breaks. I think you're going to see those things happen here in the future. I think, you know, if we're in a world where we're not playing in front of fans, you know, the screen, the, the shots are going to get much tighter how sponsors interact with that broadcast is going to be very, very different. How we use social media and content on a 365 and try to monetize that, which frankly has not been properly done in sports. If you think about it, um, we've really been more traditional media sponsorship and, or uh, you call it spots and dots, right. In our buildings, we've been more physical sponsorship impressions. And now we've gone to the social media, digital media world that truly, you know, companies like yourself, I mean, you know, you're going to lead the way in, in, in helping all of us value um, what, the, what these models are, right? How do you model social and digital footprint? And because it's inherently somewhat new uh, to a lot of these traditional sponsors who are buying this inventory, it's harder for them to maybe, you know, think about the monetization that goes behind it. So I, I think we're, we're at a really um, important time in our, in our life and, and, what I would say, Adam, is it was already happening is, is my point, right? Like um, really good content on television has already impacted in stadia or in arena experience in the sense of it's much harder to sell a season ticket today than it was five years ago. Um, the social media, social media and digital media landscapes has taken us all from a local business to a worldwide global business, right? The San Francisco 49ers, we might've sold sponsorship in our 75 mile radius or DMA, right? Now you're talking about millions and millions of fans that are following us all over the world on all of our social media channels. And so forget the geographic footprint, it doesn't exist anymore. And so there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for us to use those technological platforms to think outside the box. And what I would say is if you think about the, if the, of the business of football is like one big pizza pie or a business of any sport is one big pizza pie. I think the dollars will increase. I think this, but I also think the slices will increase, right? Where maybe it was four slices before six slices here. 
it's going to be 12. And if you think about it in a content world, the NFL's already done a good job of this, right? You got NBC, CBS, Fox, and ESPN, right? That all have what, what you would call linear traditional um, television rights. Now you add Amazon in there in the streaming space, right? You got NFL, you got NFL Network, obviously, in their media hub. You got what Verizon's done within their mobile space, right, on every single Verizon device. And so I think you could foresee a world in the future there where all those revenue buckets stay the same, but how we get to the end number changes dramatically. And this will just accelerate all the change that have already has been happening. But it's going to be a really tough 2020 and 2021. Um, and I think those who are spending time thinking about 21 and 22 right now are going to come ahead of it, are going to, are going to wind up being uh, uh, way ahead of the curve for those who are in challenging times in 2020. Yeah, you mentioned social, digital technology, particularly an increasing fan and audience engagement. Are there specific things um, that have been that you've seen that have been accelerated from the coronavirus? You know, if you're thinking like augmented reality or even potentially virtual reality, or are you know, or you know, TikTok or any of these other, you know, obviously there's been a growth in social media platforms and ways to engage and reach a global audience. Are there any things that you've seen specifically that have accelerated and, and things that you're excited about in terms of coming out of COVID-19 or just in, in general from that space? I would say in general, um, there's certain things here and there. I think there's some, you know, college football did a virtual tailgate world. Um, you know, I've seen uh, CBS do a lot within the content space of golf, having Tiger Woods, you know, put on past games and then have Tiger commentate, you know, commentate over top of it. Um, I haven't seen anything that I think is dramatically going to change yet. Um, but I do think the social platforms have provided, frankly, our athletes um, with an unbelievable opportunity on their side, right? And, and you and I spoke about this a little bit in the sense of, you know, for all of your students who are now just learning how amazing Michael Jordan was, um, I knew it, you know, I'm a little older than your students. I think what he, what he was the pioneer of was understanding the value of his brand in a broader perspective, what he meant to Nike. Nike without Michael Jordan is very different right? Gatorade without Michael Jordan is very different. Um, and so he was, in my mind, one of the first pioneers to really value himself as a brand um, and not just like Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls, just Michael Jordan. And I think these platforms have come along and you see these athletes that have been able to monetize their own likeness and or, um, which I love to see this, um, the entrepreneurial spirit of the LeBron James or the Steph Curry or the Kevin Durant, they've gone out and created media companies or they've gone out and invested in, um, you know, uh, startups in the technology space that impact the world of sports. And so they're using their platforms differently now where maybe they would have taken a sponsorship check, right? Before now they're saying, you know what? I don't need the sponsorship check. I want actually equity or royalties or whatever. Right. And I think, we, you know, the 49ers and Elevate have thought a little bit about that too on the commercial side of what the business that we run. We've made 40 investments in the last two and a half years um, as part of the 49ers, Levi Stadium and Elevate. And some of that is not everyone could write us a six or seven figure sponsorship check to use, you know, a 49ers logo rights and marks. But that does not mean that there aren't companies out there that can't positively impact our business. And so, in a world in which we can help a early stage company or middle state, whatever, right? Um, use our brand, our rights, our marks, our footprint, our strategy, our advice to amplify what they're doing. Um, there's a huge win in there. And if we could potentially take equity in a company or invest, it, it might at the very end of the day be much more than what we have taken in guaranteed rights fees as a sponsor. And so I think you're going to see that continue on, um, honestly, as, as these teams and these leagues look to grow their wealth, right? I mean, the NFL is always talking about being a $25 billion enterprise. Well, you know, you don't go from where, where you're at today to that number by just like marginally increasing ticket sales by 3%. Like that doesn't work, right? You've got to find new ways to create some, uh, some enterprise value above and beyond your current offerings. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting point, particularly about the teams making investments in lieu of sponsorship dollars in a similar way, that, or at least through the uh, pathways like Elevate or through um, uh, organizations like through Elevate. And I think that in and of itself could be its own podcast discussion. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. So hopefully we can run into that. We can talk about that in a little more detail another time. But a couple more questions as we're wrapping up. One of the things we had talked about is the uh, integration of the team operations side and the business operations side, particularly conversations that you have uh, with um, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, uh, the general manager and coach of the 49ers. Um, can you talk a little bit more just uh, how those conversation, how that interaction occurs, what they're looking for from the conversations and how you use those conversations to help with the business and grow the business of the 49ers? Yeah, Adam, I think this is a world like, I'll, I'll try to be short because I'm, I'm long-winded most times. Um, our, our coaches, players, and personnel departments understand the value that they bring in access, exclusive access. Um, people like to pay for things they otherwise could never get on their own, right? And um, our coach now, if you look at a COVID world, our coach understands that, you know, to create additional opportunities, um, you know, would, would every team look to do hard knocks? Like, you know, why is hard knocks one team? Why can't it be all 32 teams? And if our fans are clamoring for that, how valuable is that information? And so I think in the past there was always, I used to joke with, you know, a general manager will go unnamed. Um, that like a general manager wouldn't want to tell you whether they put uh, mustard or mayo on their turkey sandwich. Like they'd be like, they're so scared of competitive balance and giving away these secrets. And that's changed. Like people are like, all right, what am I really sharing? That's going to, you know, competitively put me behind somebody else. And I you like, you see it. I give the XFL a lot of credit. Like I know, if you're, if you're a student, you're going to go back and read that the XFL folded and it didn't work. Well, like, Look, the XFL was one of the first casualties of COVID. It's not going to be the last. It already hasn't been the last. Um, but what they did in like coach to player communication or sideline access, I think it, you know, it reinvented what you would think of a broadcast and the opportunities that might exist. And I, I think on our player and coach side, there's so much more we could be doing for our fans to take them behind the scenes without giving away anything that's going to, you know, take away from our game plan. And so my coaches, my, my discussions with them are on a daily basis. I mean, and it's amazing. I've been in the NFL now 15 years, over 15 years. Um, and the, and like the evolution of don't talk to me, don't put film crews on my field. Like I don't want to interview. I don't want this captured to now. I mean, we got 40 people on our social and digital media team shooting content from every different angle, right? Posting it on every different platform, um, you know, with our players engaged and involved in it, we get our sponsors to actually uh, attribute themselves to actual, um, you know, properties, whether it's a mic'd up property or whether it's the coach cam or whether it's the quarterback, these are things that frankly, sponsors love, right? It's exclusive content and access that no one else can get. And we can provide that to them. And so I think, it, I think it's a fascinating time in this world if you're really creative. And if you have a, a player, coach, and personnel world that is willing to listen uh, to really outside the box thoughts. And they're not out that much outside the box. They're just outside of the box for those individuals. Exactly. Um, Again, also, I think that could be its own separate podcast, but again, I will, I, there's a lot of really good points there, but one of the, and this kind of falls into the last question though, that we wanted to ask, which is, you know, our students are obviously interested. We've talked about getting into the sports space. We talked a little bit about, you know, what you did potentially enter the sports space. Now you're on the other side of the equation, right? You're the president, you're hiring people both at, uh, or potentially hiring people both at the 49ers and at Elevate. So what are you looking for in employees? What are you looking for in hires? And what are you looking for to build the team um, in terms of, uh, you know, achieving success from a revenue quantitative, but also from a people, human capital and culture perspective? Yeah, the culture and, and, and people part's the easy part. Like, um, you know, I have the sign out in, in my house. So when I leave every single morning, it says work hard, be nice to people. Like being, a, you know, sports players understand this, like being a good teammate, 
it's more important than anything. Um, and so, you know, you got to fit into the work world. There's definitely competitive juices across anything, um, but you got to be a really good teammate. Can't be selfish. Can't be entitled. Um, that bothers me more than anything. Um, you got to come in and work really hard. And then but that's the easy part. I would say um, it's a tough world right now for, for people coming out of college that looking for jobs. Like you got to try and find what your value add is going to be. Um, and I think it's really important, more important than ever to do your due diligence on whoever it is you're, you know, whatever jobs you're applying for, whatever jobs you're trying to get is without offending them, what value do you think you can bring to the table that they might not otherwise have today? And in a world post COVID, I'm looking for not just intellectual curiosity, but um, thought leadership on ideas and ideation um, that will change our world for the better. And it doesn't have to be groundbreaking. It could be in process or structure, right? But more than ever, I think the traditional thought process of how sports worked, like throw it out the window. You know, when I got into the business, it was like a movie theater. Buildings just opened up and people came. Then they realized, oh shit, it's competitive and I can price more and well, let me get more sophisticated. And now it's even more sophisticated than it's ever been. It's going to continue down that path. And so um, look for organizations that think the way you think, that are progressive in thought. And those who might not, provide them with an idea. And even if your idea is wrong, take a chance. Like you got nothing to lose. I got my job at the Cowboys because I responded to an email that I was thankfully copied on that says I might not have been in a place to get the job. And I responded to the Cowboys by telling them it was going to be the worst decision they ever made in their franchise history. Some say it was bold. I say, who cares? Like I had nothing to lose. I either don't, I either get the job or I don't get the job. What's what's like, I'll, I'll, I'll continue to fight another day. So for all your students, like, you know, be enthusiastic, be unbelievably proactive. Um, but most importantly, and Adam's doing this on your behalf, really learn how these businesses tick. Like, don't just be a fan of the sport, be a fan of the business of the sport. Because if you want to be in the business of the sport, you got to understand how it works and you got to have a thought as to what the future of what it looks like is. And if you can find a way to impact in a positive way and a positive manner, the future of these businesses, you'll be much better off than those who are just putting in their resume and saying, here's my CV. Here's where I went to school. Hire me. Like, don't do that. Right. Give them something to think about um, as they're thinking about whether or not you're the right person to be to hire. Yeah, I think that's a great place to end it. Great advice, great insight. Uh, Al, uh, Guido, we want to thank you for being on the podcast today. Uh, it was a really great discussion, and, and we appreciate, like I said, appreciate your time, appreciate your insights, and appreciate the help that you're providing for our audience. Thanks, Adam.